In any event, I want to ask you this morning if you, uh, if you have a recollection of driving along the highway and seeing a yellow school bus stop and the bus stops and of course the appropriate lights are flashing and stop sign is deployed and, and uh, you see a small child there adjacent to the roadway and walk across the roadway and climb onto the school bus and all the traffic does what? All the traffic does what? While that's all happening, what do you do? Stop. Oh, <laughs> you stop. You know, just a last summer, a short distance from here last summer, I was driving home and I saw a dog sitting at the end of a driveway. And the dog uh, was not watching me, and I was coming from the certain direction. The dog was looking in the other direction. He wasn't looking at me, and I didn't see what the dog was looking at. And then I observed down the road, maybe about a mile or so down the road, and I saw the school bus coming over the top of the hill. And the dog was all attentive on the school bus. And uh, not, not me at all, just the school bus. And sitting patiently beside them, not on the roadway, just at the end of his driveway, and watching that school bus intently because the dog was waiting for his little masters to come home from school on the school bus. I thought it was so, uh, so cute. There are no friends. Well, I should be very careful about this. There are few friends in this world any more faithful than your dog. There is so much to learn from them. They never forget you. They never hold a grudge against you. So in any event, I didn't come here to talk about dogs this morning. But I want to talk to you this morning as we begin about school buses. Supposing, supposing in your area where you live and where your children board the school bus, and where your grandchildren get on the school bus, supposing you had uh, individuals who were just flagrantly driving by the stopped school bus with all the signs deployed, and they just didn't care. They just drove right on by. And what would you do? What would you do? What would you do? Would you do nothing? Would you do something? What would you do? I, I think that you wouldn't be very long before you'd be on the phone. You'd be calling, who would you call? Red Cross? Call your neighbors? Well, if you knew the driver of the vehicle, you might, uh, you know, you might have a conversation with the driver of the vehicle. But on the other hand, you may not know who it is. And even if you did know who it was, you would say to yourself, this person is so flagrantly violating these laws of the Highway Traffic Act in our province, then there must be something wrong with this person. And I don't even know if I want to really go and talk to this person myself personally right now. So you would call the police. You would call the police. Why would you call the police? You would call the police because there's a law duly enacted in the province of Ontario and this law is being violated. And this law is being violated, and in the violation of this law, it's putting people's lives at risk. Not just people, it's putting your children's lives at risk. It's putting your grandchildren's lives at risk, the violation of this law, right? So you would not tolerate that. You would call the police, and you would demand and require and expect that there would be some kind of enforcement taken to the laws of the the Highway Traffic Act laws in the province of Ontario, they must be enforced. If they're not enforced, what value are they? If there's no enf in enforcement to a law, 
how could you properly describe it as a law? I would describe it as a suggestion. Here's my suggestion. When you see the yellow school bus approaching and stopping about to um, pick up children, small children for school, and they're deploying their lights and so on, and the stop sign comes out from the side, here's my suggestion that you stop and wait until they've safely boarded and the lights have stopped flashing, the bus has started to move, then you can proceed. Well, it's too serious for a suggestion. And so therefore it is a law. And since it is a law, there are enforcement agencies. I think you know where I'm going with this. There are a great many things happening today that are putting the lives of our children and grandchildren and friends at great risk. These are not necessarily violations of the Highway Traffic Act, but these are violations of God's law. I want to ask you this morning if you've ever given any thought to the, to the fact of uh, the question, is there enforcement for God's laws, or are they just suggestions? Is there any way of enforcing laws? Well, is it, uh, is it important that the laws of God would be respected? Is it important that anything that would affect the safety of your children and grandchildren and loved ones? Because we're talking now not just about physical safety, but we're talking about the safety of the soul and spirit. We're talking about eternal destiny, and we're talking about where individuals will spend eternity. Nothing could be more serious than that. We're talking about a reality, and we're talking about a place. We're talking about a habitation that survives death, goes beyond death, and is eternal in scope. And God's laws are designed to present a pathway, and his provision is designed to present a pathway for eternal life. Not eternal death, but eternal life. And so in God's laws, are, is there enforcement? I have... Uh, I'm witnessing the behavior of individuals across the globe. I'm thinking this morning about the great plague of ISIS, ISIL, whatever you want to call them, marauding, murderous individuals who give allegiance to a philosophy and to a religion that uh, has no foundation in truth, absolutely no foundation in truth whatsoever. It is, an, it is based on... on not a lie, but it's based on a whole series of lies. And yet people believe that so fervently. And it becomes so perverted in their mind that they are abusing citizens of the world in that part of the world and are intent upon employing that same diabolical uh, death and destruction globally, worldwide. Now, that is so obvious to us. But I'm also concerned about the lives of individuals who are our friends and neighbors and who are conducting themselves totally outside of God's laws. And even educators and people in leading, you might say, leading citizens within our society who do not respect God's laws as recorded in the scriptures, don't respect it at all. They are secular and humanistic in their philosophy and in their point of view. And they have a philosophy and they have a moral code that the Bible condemns and yet that they believe in and they are intent upon enforcing that upon the hearts and minds of our children. ISIS is intent upon enforcing their philosophy, but so are the secular humanists 
in our society who are not murdering people outright, but they are intent upon forcing individuals to adhere to their particular view of morality, social, social justice, human behavior, and so on. But it violates God's law. And my question this morning is, can you call the police? Can you pick up your phone and call 911 or whatever the number is? And you cannot do that, but is there enforcement to God's laws? And I'm suggesting to you and saying to you this morning that there are. There, there is enforcement to God's laws. I want to show you this morning a video about maybe 25 minutes or so in length. I have a few things I'd like to share with you before I do that. This video is something I'm going to show you a portion of it and ask you to go online when you have opportunity. Go to FAI Mission, all one word, FAIMission.org. The FAI stands for Frontier Alliance International. So Frontier International, excuse me, Frontier Alliance International. That's all you have to type into uh, your search engine. And it'll take you to a web page where you're able to download or stream or download a video that lasts for videos about one hour in length total. And uh, Joel Richardson is responsible for, with others, responsible for this particular video. And uh, it's, it's dealing with the Iraq and Syria and that part of the world and ISIS. And uh, you'll, find it, you'll find it very fascinating and interesting. We want to listen to and watch it, just a portion of that uh, this morning. But what I want to begin with this morning and ask you to join me is in James. So if you'd open your Bible with me, I want to read a few verses from James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and I'll begin to read at verse number 16. I'll just take a few moments, and then we'll watch that particular video clip. Again, the search engine would be, to type in to Google, would be Frontier Alliance International. All right, in James uh, 5 and verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. And it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much or accomplishes much. So we're going to talk this morning about effectual prayer. Effectual prayer. Because the answer to our question about is there enforcement with regard to God's laws in the earth? And the key to this enforcement, and the answer is yes, there is. And the key to this enforcement is referred to biblically as effectual, fervent prayer. But it doesn't just say effectual, fervent prayer. It says effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person. And what that means is that in order to pray in this way effectually, to pray effectually means to pray effectively, to pray in a way that answers are received. To pray in a way where specific answers are received and manifested in the earth. That apart from this prayer, those answers are not manifested in the earth. But when this effectual prayer is engaged in, 
and uh, fully communicated that there are specific answers to prayer in the earth, that God's will, God's laws, the kingdom of heaven is manifested in the earth. But it says this must be done by a righteous person. That means a person who is living in right standing with God. And I'm just going to come right to the bottom line on this. A righteous person, a person to pray effectually, is a person who is clean. A person who is clean. Now, I know, we, we all know that we are not cleansed by our works. We are cleansed by the works of Jesus. But since we are cleansed by the works of Jesus, then we are called to walk or live accordingly. We are to walk and live in this world as a person who has been cleansed by the blood and life and power of Jesus. So we are to live clean. To live clean means to live clean in our thoughts, to live clean in our soul, to be clean in our spirit, and it means to be clean in our body. And a person who is not clean in his or her body is a person who is not qualified to pray effectually. You see, time is, time is at a premium. Time is at a premium. And the, as far as the age is concerned, we're getting late in the day of this age. The darkness is approaching and is enveloping. And there's not time now to speak in kind of just subtly. We're going to speak very candidly and openly in love. We're not going to hold anything back. We must be able to pray effectively, effectually, fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Now, the example that's used here by James is the example of Elijah himself. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, we have a record. We do not have the record in First Kings of the original prayer of Elijah that it would not rain. We've talked about this a little bit before. But since the life and ministry and power of Elijah is a type of the type and ministry and power that will precede a manifestation of Messiah or a manifestation of God's power in the earth, we need to be continually looking at the life and ministry of Elijah. We have, uh, we have said before that there came a time in Elijah's life as he lived in the mountainous regions of Gilead. There came a time in his life when he was moved upon by God's Spirit to pray because he was his righteous soul was, was troubled and grieved at the evil that was occurring within Israel. And so he recognized that the religion and the pagan religion of Baal worship was very prevalent within Israel because of Jezebel marrying Ahab, King Ahab. And they had temples built to the worship of Baal. They presented Baal as an alternative way of praying and approaching God, Jehovah. They didn't present Baal just as this evil, awful religion away over there, pagan. They presented Baal as an alternative way of approaching Jehovah. There are no alternative ways of approaching God other than through the provision of His only begotten Son. 
And so Elijah realized this, and he realized that they were attributing the success they were having in their crops to Baal. And so he prayed fervently to God to manifest in the earth in such a way as to frustrate the power in the minds of the people of Baal. Now remember, Baal doesn't exist. There is no such entity as Baal. It does not exist. Baal is a fabrication in the minds of individuals. But since they believe in this false deity, Elijah is praying fervently that the false deity that they believe in would be totally stripped of his power. And his power in the mind of the people was the power to control weather and give them uh, bountiful crops and rain in its season and sunshine in its season and so on. So therefore, that's the motivation then for the prayer. The prayer is, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, manifest yourself in the earth in such a way as to prove to all of Israel that you are God, that you alone are God. Now, that's the way we are to pray now. Do you find, I want to know how many people are sensing an inner moving and stirring inside to pray effectually like this. Just a inside, it's like, uh, remember we talked about the school bus? Now, how would you feel every day if you knew that the school bus on, on which your children and grandchildren are riding, that vehicles are passing that stopped school bus flagrantly with, without any uh, concern for the law at all, just, just rushing right on by? You'd be concerned about it, wouldn't you? You'd say to yourself, you'd say to yourself, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I'm not going to give rest I'm going to put a stop to this, wouldn't you? And I'm going to appeal to every law enforcement agency necessary to put a stop to this, and we're going to put a stop to this today, not tomorrow. We're going to put a stop to this today. Wouldn't you do that? Well, that same kind of, that same kind of stirring, that same kind of, that, that, that same kind of seriousness with regard to the violation of God's law that is condemning the lives of those whom we love to a godless eternity. And I'm not exaggerating. That is precisely what's happening. You see, there must be a response to this from heaven because God's laws are being violated. And God's laws are being violated, and we can say everybody has a right to do that, but they're being violated at great cost to the detriment of innocent lives. I've always said if somebody is intent upon injuring themselves, then they're going to find a way to injure themselves. But do not be, con do not be intent upon injuring others at the same time. Your freedom to injure yourself is one kind of freedom, but you do not have freedom to injure others. Not at all. So, I find with, within my heart, within my life, I find in my spirit, I find that I'm being stirred, and I'm not alone in this. I find that I'm being stirred to pray in this way, to call out to God morning, night, and noon, and to appeal to our Father in heaven to manifest his power and authority in the earth in such a way as to say to the inhabitants of this earth, that God is God and he alone is God. Now this is what Elijah was doing. And God heard and answered and there, there was no rain for three years and six months. 
And then the time came in Elijah's ministry when the prophets of Baal were dealt with. And he came and he again said, uh, the abundance of rain, the, 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 it's going to rain abundantly. And he went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And it is in the scripture, it is recorded in the scripture, exactly what he did. This is what he did. He went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He got down on his knees before God. He put his head between his knees, which is an indi indication, uh, physical indication of inward subjection, subordination to the authority of God. And he prayed for rain to come. And he sent his servant up to the top to look over, out over the sea, Mediterranean. And do you see a cloud rise? And, this, and there's no sign of rain. But he's already told Ahab, uh, get in your chariot and go back to the city because it's going to rain and you better hurry and get back there because if you don't, then the rain is going to be so plentiful it's going to hinder your journey. So hurry up and get back there. And there's no sign of rain. And so he went up and he told his servant to go and look and he said, I don't see anything at all. But seven times he did that. And the seventh time the servant said, I see a cloud arising out of the sea. And Elijah said, get ready because here it comes. And the rain was restored. Now, James uses, James uses this analogy to tell us that Elijah was a man of like passions like we are. Wasn't anything more special about Elijah than there is about you and, and me. And yet he, what was special about Elijah was, was special was, was his uh, dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite. You see, that talks about the righteous person, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person. Since he was a Nazarite, he was devoted to righteousness before God. And you and I need to be too. So we need to be devoted to righteousness, and then we need to have what I'm going to present to you now. There's a commentary on James chapter 5 and verse 16. Let me to read this to you. This is Adam from Adam's, Adam Clark's commentary. This is wonderful. It says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The words, and he includes the words from the Greek text here in, in the language, and he says, The words uh, signify energetic supplication, or such a prayer as is suggested to the soul and wrought in it by a divine energy. This is the key. The prayer is suggested to the soul and wrought in it by divine energy. What does that mean? It simply means that the Spirit of God works in your soul, in the soul of the righteous person, this prayer, the intensity of it, the uh, nature of it. He works it in the soul. And this is referred to in Scripture as grace. This is the grace of God. He continues... When God designs to do some particular work in his church, he pours out on his followers the spirit of grace and supplication. And this he does sometimes when he is about to do some special work for an individual. See, so he pours out on his followers the spirit of grace and supplication. Now, is this happening with you? Do you sense within yourself that God is pouring out upon your soul the spirit of grace and supplication? See, my uh, fervent belief is that this is happening globally, worldwide. 
I believe in this very moment that the Spirit of God globally all across the length and breadth of this planet is pouring out His grace and supplication upon the souls of believers, creating within the believer a sense that um, we must have a response from heaven to the violation of God's law that is occurring in the earth. We must have a response from heaven. We cannot and will not tolerate and just sit here and accept this in some kind of passive way. I don't believe the church has ever been called to be passive with with this regard. It never has been the intention of our Lord Jesus for his church to be passive with regards to these things that are happening in the earth. We have grown passive. The reason we have grown passive is because our hearts have grown hard. And when our hearts have grown hard on the inside, this wonderful, great, the spirit of grace and supplication that Adam Clark is writing about, we're not sensing it. We're not feeling it. It's not having its, it's not having its uh, effective work on the inside of us just because our hearts are hard. He closes and says, When such a power of prayer is granted, faith should be immediately called into exercise that the blessing may be given. Well, faith accompanies this working. It's not just that, you know, we summon up faith. It's that faith arises up in this grace and supplication from God's Spirit. Then he says the spirit of prayer is the proof that the power of God is present to heal. The spirit of prayer. Well, this is what it is. This grace and supplication that is worked upon the soul of the believer by God is the spirit of prayer. And when the Lord gives the spirit of prayer to the believer, that's a proof, absolute proof, that God is about to do a certain kind of work. It's marvelous. Now, apply this to what is happening in the world. I know many people are are perfectly content to sit back on their hands And while this evil is growing in the earth exponentially and sit back and say, well, you know, this is a sign of the end of the age and this is a sign of the return of Jesus and the darker it gets, the the more that indicates that the Lord's return is at hand and so on and so forth. There's some truth in this, but it's not entirely true. In fact, there's a great deal of error in it. That's kind of a passive acceptance of evil prospering in the earth. Do you think that the Lord actually is pleased with his people sitting like that passively while evil prospers in the earth, while little children are being abused, while women are being raped all over the parts of the earth, while they're being sold into slavery, while their husbands' throats are being cut and heads being severed from their body? Do you think that for one second that God in heaven is pleased with a church that sits passively watching that kind of thing without being outraged in their spirit. But the key to this is we're not called to be outraged in our flesh. We're not called to be outraged carnally. I spent the most part of my life being outraged carnally. Let me find the nearest weapon that I can fight with. But you see, those weapons are not the weapons that are being called for. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. 
I want to see some strongholds torn down. And I want to see those strongholds torn down because the Lord God of heaven wants to see them torn down and has already made provision for them to be absolutely obliterated and torn down. What's missing is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person. Somebody said, you dare call yourself a righteous person? You better call yourself a righteous person because you are a righteous person. If you're not a righteous person, don't claim you are. But a righteous person is a person who is living in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and is clean in his soul, clean in his spirit, and clean in his body. Absolutely. There's, there, so, there's so much more that could be talked about on this. This is one of the... Uh, let me just say this. Am I going to get to this little videotape? <laughs> one, of the, one of the great keys to the ministry of divine healing is righteous cleanness in the body. Do you ever wonder why in divine healing it refers and references the laying on of hands, the importance of laying on of hands, and they laid on hands, they laid their hands upon them, and so on. The idea of the physical contact, the physical touch in divine healing is biblical and scriptural. Why is it so important? I'm not going to go into it right now. I just want to say to you, it is absolutely essential. And what is so essential of that is that the body be clean. And I'm not talking just about physical cleanness. I'm talking about the flesh, the body is clean. Now that's a prerequisite here for effectual fervent prayer. Let me just say, you remember when Jesus was asked to teach him, teach his disciples to pray, and he taught what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, and at the end, there is the portion, deliver us from evil, right? Deliver us from evil. Would the Lord have taught us to pray to God, our Father in heaven, to deliver us from evil, to deliver us from the power of the evil one, and to deliver us from evil itself? Would he have taught us to pray that if that kind of prayer is not going to be answered? You and I know that the Lord never would have taught a prayer that God is not inclined to answer. Since he's taught us to pray, deliver us from evil, then it is God's will and plan and made provision to deliver us from evil. What kind of evil is he talking about? He's talking about the manifestation of evil in the world to deliver us from its power, from its clutches. You know who needs to be delivered from evil in the world? is the innocent ones, the little ones, the children's. Even those children now whose minds are about to be taught in a certain way within our public school systems, they need to be delivered from that because it will shape their thinking and their perception of truth and right and wrong as they grow older. It will allow them to become very permissive in their sexual lives and in their minds and thoughts. It will allow them to avoid taking seriously God's law and God's righteous rule in their lives. They will see themselves as being autonomous and being on the throne of their own lives. And that God is anything or anyone or whatever that you want to make of him. And that's what they will be taught. Now if they're taught that and they believe that, 
how will that affect their eternal welfare and station? It will absolutely put stumbling blocks in front of them as they grow older that some of them will not be able to surmount. Is that evil? It is blatant evil. And it's the kind of thing that Jesus said, pray to your Father God that he would deliver you from that. How does he deliver us from that? He delivers us from that by the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person. I see these things, I, 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 I see it more clearly every day, and I believe others are seeing it more clearly every day, and that across the world, in the souls of believers all across the world, the kind of thing we're talking about right now is being worked out and being wrought, to use the old English word. It's being worked, it's being developed, it's being manifested. And uh, this is happening globally. I know it's happening globally. And boy, do we need it. We need it. And just let me say briefly again, in Matthew 28 and verse 18, after when Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, and he said, all power has been given unto me, all authority and all power has been given unto me in heaven and in the earth. And then he said, go therefore. In other words, since all authority and power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth, I want you to go into the earth and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to do all these things that I've commanded you. And he said, and I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to be with you on every occasion, he said, right to the end of the age. Do you remember in Luke chapter 7? I'll just go briefly through this. There was a Roman centurion highly regarded by the Jewish people. They said this Roman centurion loves our nation. And he had a servant who was sick and about to die. And the centurion said to the Jewish people that he developed a good relationship with, could you go to Jesus of Nazareth and tell him that my servant is sick at the point of death? I'm very fond of my servant and I don't want him to die. They went to Jesus. Jesus consented to come to the centurion's place to pray for his servant. Meanwhile, the centurion, you remember how he sent message to him and said, Don't, it's not necessary for you to come to my home. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you myself in person. So I asked the delegation of the Jewish elders to come to you. But he said, I also am a man under authority. And I have servants, and I have those under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to someone, come, and he comes. And I recognize that you have authority. Just say the word, and my servant would be well. Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. See, this is authority, right? Authority manifested in the earth. And then the other one in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to go there with you Matthew chapter 16 I want to read this I'm going to read beginning at verse number 13 listen carefully to these words when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I the son of man am and so they said some say John the Baptist some say that you are Elijah and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Now the name Peter, Petros, the name Peter means, it's a Greek, Greek word, that it means a large stone. Jesus said, your name is Peter, your name means large stone. That's what he's saying. So you are Petros, large stone. Then he said, and on this rock, and he uses another form of that same Greek word, Petra. You are Petra. Petra means huge, gigantic stone, like a mountainous stone. So he said, you are a small, you, you are a fairly large, you are a large stone, But upon this other stone, this large, huge, gigantic, mountainous stone, I will build my church. I'm not building my church on you, Peter, but I'm going to build my church on what has just happened here and has just been manifested in you, where you have spoken something that did not originate with you. You have spoken a truth that originated from God's revelation to you of who I am. It is upon this kind of rock, the rock of the revelation of God in human beings' lives of the truth that I'm going to build my church. And then he said, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And that means the power of darkness, the powers of the infernal regions will not prevail against my church and the powers of the infernal regions will not be able to hold out successfully against my church that as my church moves throughout the length and breadth of the world, the powers of the infernal region will not be able to withstand it. And the powers of the infernal regions will not be able to overwhelm or successfully attack my church in a victorious way. Now, does that sound passive to you? Does that sound like sitting back and allowing evil to prosper in the world? Absolutely does not. So as we come this morning and watch this about 20 or 25 minute video presentation, it basically basically is devoted to the Kurdish people and the call that uh, many young individuals are receiving now and have that they would go to the area of uh, where the Kurdish people live in the world in northern Iraq and Syria and different places uh, in that part of the world. And the uh, title of this is uh, No Better Friends Than Mountains. No Better Friends Than Mountains. Apparently this is a a saying that goes way back within the the Kurdish community that they really do not have it. They they, they consider themselves to be a people without a country. they consider themselves to be a people who live in other people's uh, countries. That they have um, that they have descended from the Medes, the Old Testament, the Medes and the Persians. That they are descended from the Medes, and that they are nationless. They are a persecuted people, and they have said in their culture over the many uh, hundreds of years, uh, our best friends are the mountains. 
So the title of this is No Better or Better Friends Than Mountains. And the idea in this is that there would be called to the Kurdish people ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ and missionaries who would go to them and who would be better friends to them than the mountains are. So Sherry will begin this for us and then we'll come back. <laughs> 